Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Behind the Bar with Judy Rice. Uh, my name is Sam Kepi, and I'm here with the one and only Judy Rice. Hi, everybody. Episode eight. Here we are. Amazing. I can't believe we're here, but this is super great. I know. We're having fun with this, and we hope that you all are, too. Yeah, this is a blast. I mean, it, it's just like it gives me it makes me feel like I'm teaching again, you know, it gives me that same feeling, you know getting to talk with you about what we do. Yeah. Which speaking of teaching, you know, teaching is all about communication and it's a two way street. Did I say we two way street (laughs) and we want to hear from you. So please send us on Instagram, the Judy Rice and ask us your question. I don't care if you're, eight years old and listening to us, or if you're a parent or a teacher or a studio owner or a non-dancer, communicate with us. We want to make this for all of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you've heard a story at some point, if when I've come to your studio or in a dance convention, and you think that that might be a good story to tell and, and, and or the message, the message for anyone um remind me of it and we'll we'll make it one of our episodes yeah so today's episode is going to be kind of a continuation of the last one um talking about manifestation and kind of how things just work out kind of by chance and kind of by magic i think so um one of my favorite stories that you tell is about how you got on the johnny carson carson show and how you kind of idolized him growing up and then ended up dancing on his show yeah that's that's just crazy because you're right i did idolize him i thought that he was well they called him the king of late night they called him that for a reason and uh i just whenever i could i always watched the show you know i'd come home from boarding school from and in the summer absolutely i was glued to the show every night and then my friend, my childhood friend, Jill Warville, loaned me her. She had this television that was like, we thought it was so small. And it was like, it was like a foot and a half tall and like a foot, like a, a big, huge cube, right? And I put this thing in my duffel bag. And I I remember getting to Toronto and they were, they said, do you have anything to declare? And I was like, well, I, I do have this little television. And they pulled everything out of my bag and, you know, were sort of harassing me on it. And yet it was, it was, it was not like a brand new piece of equipment by any means, I don't think. But anyway, so I snuck that into the residence and I, we were close enough to Buffalo that I could get an American, you know, channel Mm -hmm. and I'd put headphones on at, at 1130 at night. I'd, you know, put the TV under my covers. Everybody else would be sleeping. Right. Cause I was in a room of six people, I think, or five people, depending on the year. And I'd watch Johnny, I'd listen, I'd listen to the monologue. And it was, it was sketchy because, you know, the reception wasn't that great. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like now where you've got cable, right? And uh, so I remember that distinctly when I lived on the third floor of this mansion that I think I've talked about before, where all the girls lived. And, um, but then the next year I was on the second floor, which meant I was closer to the first floor television. So now there were 60 girls in this mansion, like six girls to a room or five girls to a room. And 
the floors were all hardwood floors, but old hardwood floors. So they creaked, right? And we had this house mother, but we called her a matron. And, you know, she would do lights out with everybody every night. And, um, you know, if you, if you didn't obey the rules in residence, you could get kicked out, right? Your whole, your whole training and, you know, potentially your career was on the line and we knew it, but I still needed to see Johnny. And so I would start creeping down and, and our, the matron's room was like right across from where my room was this one particular year when I used to do this. And, but, but you could go past her room and go to the bathroom. So that's what I would do. I'd go past her, her room, like with a normal walk and go to the bathroom. And then I would creep. And I got to the point where I knew where every creek was. And so I'd have to go super slowly to make sure that I hit it just the right way so that it didn't make any noise. And then I'd have to go down these, like this wraparound staircase. And it would take me like 15, 20 minutes to get downstairs. And then I'd get close, I'd turn the television on and I'd sit two, two inches away from it, which I can't believe I don't have res- residual effects from that. Right. But I'd sit like two inches away from it, <laughs> listening and watching Johnny. And then I'd only watch the monologue because I knew that I had to come back from the bathroom at some point, right? So I, I'd turn it off and then I would repeat going back upstairs. It would take me about 20 minutes, go back you know, into the bathroom and then walk normally back to my bedroom. And so I was, I was just committed. Right. And so then when I got into American ballet comedy, which then went on to be known as funny feet, um, we were doing a show in Long Island and tonight, along with Michael Nesbeth from the monkeys, were coming to see our show because Michael Nesbeth was doing a, he wanted to do a new variety show and he needed dancers. And so he was essentially, we were auditioning for him. And the talent coordinator from the Tonight Show was there. And we did our regular show, which was 20 vignettes. And they picked a piece called The Remembrance Waltz, which is a really charming piece about two elderly a couple, an elderly couple sitting in a park, watching a young couple dance by. And then they get the idea like, Hey, look at that. Why don't we try that? And of course they can't quite do it the way that they, the young kids did it. Right. And I, I don't want to out you here, but there is a clip of that on YouTube. If anyone out there wants to see it. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. Yeah. I think that's under what's called the co-dance reel. Mm-hmm. Co-dance did a reel of some of my work. And yes, that's where you're going to find that. So anyway, they pick the Remembrance Waltz and we fly out to Hollywood. You guys, this was an unbelievable dream come true because I had been so committed to him. And me, more than anybody of my generation at the school, like most of my friends couldn't have cared less about The Tonight Show and Johnny Carson. So the fact that I ended up on it was, and so we get there and they do this elaborate makeup sitting next to Ed McMahon when I was getting my makeup done. And, uh, which was super fun, but I, I, I actually went ahead of myself for a second. Backtracking in the afternoon, they do a, a rehearsal, which what they don't tell you is that Johnny used to watch that on a closed circuit TV. 
And if you did your rehearsal and he didn't think you were funny or he didn't think it was going to work because it was the first time he would have seen it, right? Mm -hmm. The talent coordinator booked us. Well, then he bumped you. I don't know if anybody out there remembers, but Johnny used to say, and next week we'll have so we didn't have time to get to so-and-so. We'll have them back on another episode. Well, they never came back because he didn't think they were funny. <laughs> Smart. Smart. <laughs> it, right? It was brilliant, right? And um, from what I understand, I think Johnny may have had a bit of a temper, um, but we started to do our... Uh, and we did our we did our we did our rehearsal. It went fine. Got my makeup done next to Ed McMahon. Which why did I not win the Publishers Clearing House giveaway? I'll never know. He knew who I was. <laughs> oh, God. Talk about manifesting a dream. Yeah, that's yeah, what really. I want to do. I want to I want to manifest that I'm going to. Hey, by the way, did you buy the lottery tickets? Because we need to win the lottery. True. Yeah. Sam. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. Yeah. So I'm going to manifest that. That's going to be my next man of manifestation. So we get to taping and Johnny liked to tape the whole show straight through. He didn't like to start and stop. And so we get announced, we come out, our music starts. I start doing the movement. Our music cuts out. I keep doing the movement because that's what we've been taught in our profession. Keep going. And miraculously, my musicality was such that when the music came back on, I was exactly where I should be with the music. They let, Johnny let that go. It cut out again. I kept doing the same thing. I can't remember now if it cut out two or three times, but when it cut out the final time and we heard Johnny yell, cut! I'm telling you that whole studio froze. It was one of the scariest feelings I've ever in my entire life. Kind of like I know some of my experience, my students have experienced <laughs> in my class when I get quiet, when I get quiet, they know that something is wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, my mother always said she only worried about me when she couldn't hear me. So <laughs> anyway, Johnny yelled cut, the whole place just froze. And of course, this was 1980, I think three. So we were using cassette tapes for our music. Wow. And so then they asked for the backup tape. And so we gave them the backup tape. Well, here's the thing though, that hurt us was that the audience was laughing. When the music cut in and out, they were laughing at our material. They were mm. laughing at what we were doing. Then what happened was when we started over again with the good tape in the first, I don't know, 30, and you'll notice this if you ever see the full thing, there's no audience laughing for the first little bit because they had already seen it. Mm. So it kind of killed us in a little bit or, or in, in, uh, in a little bit of a way. So in any case, the audience ended up laughing. Johnny ended up laughing. Well, when Johnny used to sit at his desk and the camera was facing Johnny, he had a monitor off to his right and the stage was off to his left. And that's where we were. And there's a point where um, I, I sort of flutter my hands and I don't want to give it away in case anybody sees it because it's kind of funny, but I kind of flutter my hands and I go from looking from the, to the, from the left to the right and then back to the left. And when I did that, this is like three quarters of the way through the number. 
when I did that, I saw Johnny, he was on his hands and knees on his desk watching us live <laughs> and not watching the monitor. And in my head, I said, holy, holy cow, Johnny, Johnny Carson's watching me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and then we finished the talent coordinator took us out that night. We ended up watching it um, on television that night. Um, and we didn't get to go sit and talk with Johnny, which I probably wouldn't have gotten to go talk with him anyway, because the the director of of American Ballet Comedy was my partner. And um, so they would he would have talked to him mm -hmm. most likely. But Johnny had a rule that he never interviewed people when they were first on the show. It's if you got asked backed asked back then you made it to the couch and it's funny they they talk about that in um a series called um i'm dying up here it's uh i can't remember what what but it's about stand-up comedy and at the and and it takes place in the 70s and that's when their goal is to get to get to the tonight show but also did you get the couch he made it to the couch mm. right so to be interviewed but it was the most amazing experience um, and then flying back to New York, somehow I ended up in first class and it was my first time ever experiencing first class. They were like, would you like champagne? And in my head, I'm like, of course I want champagne because uh, yeah. I was just on the tonight show. Hello. <laughs> um, but, uh, and it was kind of interesting because my brother was supposed to watch it, but he fell asleep. I, I, I wanted, I know I, if I could have punched him, I would have. And Andy, you know, this, I love you, but I really still want to punch you for not taping the tonight show. Come on. How do you fall asleep when your yeah, little sister's going to be on the tonight show? Of all times to fall asleep. That is not the one. <laughs> so I never had a copy of it. And then when I first moved to Michigan, I met quote unquote, I'm gonna, I'm, I have air quotes going on right now, some normal friends, right? And by that, I mean, people not in the arts. Yeah. And somehow, you know, it came up and I said something like I was on the Tonight Show and a friend of mine was like, no, you weren't. I was like, yes, I was. And he was like, no, you weren't. And he was like, yes, I was. And he goes, prove it. He goes, prove it. And I'm like, err. And at this point, Johnny had handed the show over to Jay Leno or NBC had handed the show over to Jay Leno but I got a hold of Carson Productions. I explained to this woman, she's like, why do you want a copy of this? I'm like, well, because I've got a friend of mine that doesn't believe me. <laughs> <laughs> and she laughed and she said, you know, I think I remember this performance. And this was at least 10 years later. She goes, I remember this. And I had to sign like a ton of paperwork and she ended up getting it for me and shipped me the videotape. And I showed it to my quote unquote normal friend. And I was like, there, I was on The Tonight Show. So anyway, that was really kind of funny. But I think it's, it is one of those things where, you know, I had such a passion for him and believed in his comedic timing. And here I was in a comedy company and to be able to perform comedy for Johnny Carson, it, 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 still, it still touches my soul so deeply. And uh, I think... You know, it, it's like we were talking about last week. You know, if you have a dream, don't let anybody tell you no. You know, why wasn't I saying out loud, I want to be on The Tonight Show. I want to be on The Tonight Show. But I think in many ways I was saying mm -hmm. that. 
And, um, and, and I think that goes to show that there are things that you can say out loud and things that you can, you know, whatever you believe in the universe or whatever your God is, if it, or if it's the universe, whatever, you know, if you internally talk to them or out loud, speak to them. But I, I also think it's very important to try and manifest things in a positive way. You know, we, we tend to be our own worst enemies sometimes. Right. And we kind of want to beat ourselves up instead of saying, you know, if there's something that we want to change, like I want to be in the Joffrey company, well, put that out there instead of saying it in a way that is defeating yourself from that potential. Right. So I think that's super important. I I've, I've spoken with students about that a lot where they say, well, but I can't do it. I'll say, no, 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 no. You don't say that. What you say is I'm having difficulty right now. And I'll say then when I can help you with that, that's a, that's a positive way of saying the negative, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that that's a super important thing. And it's a hard thing to learn. Yeah, I think I maybe I mentioned this last week. We definitely talked about it. But there's a level of, I think, um, like guilt or like embarrassment, like in kind of believing in yourself. Sometimes people are afraid to seem like arrogant or like sometimes speaking things out loud is kind of like a vulnerable thing to do. But, you know, it's free it's free to think it, it's free to say it, it's not hurting anybody if you're just with yourself, you know, it's a private moment. And it can feel really empowering to just like, to believe in yourself, you know, and if nobody ever hears it, and it's like, even if it doesn't, even if it doesn't come true, like, it just, it feels good to believe it in that moment, you know. And you have a more of a chance of making it come true if you say it and believe it. I agree. You know, and that, that kind of takes me back to, you know, at the National Ballet School of Canada when I was there, you know, we kind of thought we were hot stuff, right? And I look back on it and I'm sure that's why the director of the school kind of slapped me upside the head every once in a while, which was probably a very good thing. But I remember saying, I don't want to teach. And I wanted to dance. And because we had this there was this idea then those who can do those who can't teach. And I, I, I so disagree with that, mm -hmm. that phrase now, because that's, I wouldn't be where I am today without some of the most amazing humans and teachers that helped shape me. So that's totally wrong. But at the time, you know, this was the seventies, early seventies and, you know, we, we kind of thought, well, if you don't, if you don't make it into a ballet company, by the time you're 18, you're, you're a failure. And if you go to college for dance, you're a failure. And that is also not true. And especially not true now. And, you know, that's where the modern world has always had it ahead of the ballet world in many senses, because they knew to go and get a degree and get a degree in dance and then go dance. And then when they were done dancing, they already had the degree. Whereas we as ballet dancers tended to want to get into a company when we were 18. And then, you know, you have a catastrophic injury at 23, 24 you, or 30, and you don't know what to do. And you don't have that degree as a backup. Mm -hmm. So I fully believe in going and getting your education, but getting back to manifesting, I used to say, <laughs> I don't want to teach. And if I do teach, I'm never teaching at a university. Well, as you know, if you've listened to any previous episodes, I just celebrated my 30th year at the University of Michigan. But I got to wonder, 
how much of that, and I don't want to teach at a university, did the universe hear? Mm. I was saying it in a negative way, but the universe heard it, right? So again, you have to, I think, you know, be careful what you say. Be careful. You know, there's really something, you know, to be said for that. Yeah. But I mean, and then that teaching at a university, like, you know, that's been your whole whole life for the last 30 years and it's you know something you never thought that would be so fulfilling but it has become like the most important thing in your life is teaching yeah it you're right you're right sam and it really has and and so much of that has to do with the talent that i have been able to work with with the the students how many students i've had the opportunity and and the pleasure to work with and and many of whom are still friends of mine and that I, I keep in touch with and, um, you know, and who showed up to the alumni class that we spoke about. That was so heartwarming. You're absolutely right. It is it is it is it is my life. And and I love it far more than I ever knew. I've tried to leave a couple of times just because of, you know, it's kind of like every seven years, right? I guess it's sort of my version of the seven year itch, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, every single time I want to come back and I want to come back because I love training and I get an opportunity to really train. And, and it's those students that pull me back mm -hmm. and I love it. And um, I don't, I don't see me trying to leave again anytime soon. I think I'm, I think I'm here for the long haul, but you know, the other thing I want to bring up is that, because I, I'm, I'm just, uh, I had to, to submit a review in order to renew my contract with the university, which I go through every five years or so. And, you know, I've, I've been reading a lot of the evaluations over from over the last, you know, couple of years. And it's interesting how sometimes my stories, um, students don't like them. They think it's a waste of time. And yet what's interesting is I used to feel guilty about it at first, but then I realized that whenever I tell a story, I really, it's not about me or my ego or being self-serving. It's because there's a lesson behind the story that needs to be taught at that moment in order to make the movement better. Mm -hmm. And that's really my goal. Um, and I, and I think I've done that in convention as well. And I, I, ha I can see an immediate change in the quality in the movement. And that's my goal as a teacher. Mm -hmm. So, but you're right. I've been super lucky with the university. I really have. Yeah. And it's, it's just like, I was talking with a friend. I was doing a, a recorded concert um, out of town this past week. And I was carpooling with a friend and we were just talking about the importance of, you know, being flexible in your life. You know, both of us have had um, instances where, you know, things just didn't work out the way that we thought, but doing that work on yourself and making sure that, you know, when you have to make a career change, when something doesn't work out the way that you want, it can't be devastating. You know, it has to be like, you have an idea of the bigger picture already. And maybe it's just a few steps back instead of like, my whole plan has been derailed. Right. You have to look at it as the opportunity for it to propel you forward or in another direction. Yeah. And speaking of that and speaking of former students who are now friends, very soon, I'm not sure if it'll be the next episode, or but very soon, um, we are going to have our first guest on Behind the Bar. And her name is Erica Shannon, and she is the fitness director for a company called Mix 
Fitness. It's spelled M-Y-X Fitness. And she and I happened to be on the phone and because I saw something that she posted on Facebook, which I don't go on Facebook very often, but I, I just happened to see this and I, my heart went out to her and I immediately picked up the phone and called her, even though we hadn't spoken in, I don't know, I don't know, five years maybe. And we get talking and I said, yeah, man, I, I've been inside for so long and it's hard to get out with, it's cold. And I was like, I need to get, I need to get a bike. I need to get a, I need a, and I, and I, I mentioned another name and she said, why are you doing that? Why don't you get my bike? I go, your bike. What do you mean? What are you talking about? Well, essentially it, I have a, uh, a bike where there are videos and I ride and it's, it's amazing. It's called mix fitness. I, and they have other classes. I did a meditation class yesterday, which by the way, was very hard for me, <laughs> but I did it. I did it. And I've been doing stretch classes and I've been getting on the bike. I started with 15 minutes one day, then went to 20, then went to 30. And then I think yesterday I did 40. And, and so, you know, I'm feeling better. And um, in any case, Erica has always impressed me because she had a, an amazing career in musical theater. And then she punted and went this direction and that direction. And, and I find her fascinating. And so that's why we're going to bring her on and have her be our first guest so that you can meet her also. Yeah, from what you told me about her, I think she'll be the perfect first guest for our podcast. She kind of encapsulates yeah. a ton of what we've been touching on through our, our eight-episode stint so far. Yeah, and what what the listeners don't know is that um, Sam and I also have two people helping us with this podcast, and uh, they they give us thumbs up. They 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 take notes. They say this worked. This they're they're super great, and one of them is a a senior in the musical theater department. And uh, he's completely excited about this episode with Erica. And so, because he knows her because she's come back and visited the department. Um, and then our other one is is a, a dance major. So so we, we're covered on both ends, mm -hmm. the, dance, the dance portion and the musical theater portion, which is super great. So we're looking forward to having Erica on. Yeah, well, I think that is, uh, that's all we have for today. This was a good, a great episode. Super fun. Honoring Johnny Carson. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll be back with a new episode next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.